continue in worship through the reading of God's word. Would you stay standing as we receive this? Today's reading will be in Joshua 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you all an inheritance for, for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to fight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God, for if you turn your back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go to the way of the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that no one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All all have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so that the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your voice. It is the loudest and most trusted voice that we will hear today without flaw. Perfect. So would you, through your servant Joshua and the story of 23, would you just remind us of what we have forgotten Would you teach us new things about us and you and who you are? And then, Father, would you activate our lives in response to what we read? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, What a privilege it was to hear uh, Caden Binder read our scripture for us today. Student just graduated from Stewart High School, and um, he's going to be going to Tennessee Tech in the fall. And uh, Caden has been here Man, since he was a little wee fellow uh, in our church, he's been so faithful, not just in being here, uh, but serving here. And man, he's just a, um, proud of that young man. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open those up to ja- Joshua chapter 23. That's our story today. Um, as we get there, let me recall um, the day of 9-11-2001 to your minds. This is one of the most... Infamous days in American history, 9-11. The day that the whole world stood still and watched as um, terrorists hijacked three planes, uh, two of them taking out the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center and the other one taking out the Pentagon. There was a fourth flight 
that day the terrorists had taken. It was United Airlines Flight 93. And uh, they were more than likely headed for either the White House or Congress. And as the passengers and crew members on that flight had heard about the other terrorist attacks, they were most certain of their destiny moments away from eternity if something did not change. Uh, One of those passengers that day was a man named Todd Beamer. Todd Beamer was a follower of Jesus, an ordinary man who believed in an extraordinary God. And on that day, he decided that he would not go down without a fight. His belief about his future would determine his behavior. Uh, Todd had grabbed a phone on the church. I'm sorry, the the, the plane. He grabbed a phone and he wanted to call his wife and reach out to her and obviously tell her that he loved her and loved the kids. But the, the phone was rerouted to an operator. And in that recorded conversation, he had informed her that they were aware of the terrorist hijacking of the plane and him and along with some other passengers had a plan that they were going to try to take over the plane from the terrorists to wrestle the control back to them and then land the plane. He had asked that operator, would you please go tell my wife and children that I love them dearly? Todd went on to pray the Lord's Prayer. And then the last recorded audible words from Todd Beamer were, let's roll. Those last words were lasting words that inspired the nation of America. Today in our study in Joshua chapter 23, really nearing the end of this book in 23 and 24, these are not just the last two chapters in the book. These are the last lasting words of Joshua that inspires the nation of Israel. It's been about 25 years since they took the promised land. Joshua is about 110 years old. So this is the end of Joshua's life, facing death. And this is his handing off of the baton, so to speak. In that moment where he says, I am old, but you have seen. There's this handing off of the baton to the next generation of leaders in Israel. Gets them together, he pulls them together, and gives them these inspirational last words to the nation. If someone has the actual opportunity to speak last words, I think they're very careful about what they speak about. It's not flippant. They're very careful about that. If you, if you have the opportunity, think about this, you were... Hours away from death, as morbid as that may sound, it's good to ponder. But if you were hours away and you had the opportunity to speak lasting words, what would your last words be? I don't think that we would waste breath by saying things like, I hope you dance, or I hope you have a great life, or let's talk about careers, let's talk about Uh, what we're going to do with divvying up all of the possessions of the estate. I don't think you'd turn and want everybody to know that you've taken out insurance policies and you're going to cover the expenses of everything and everything is going to be okay. I'm talking about last words. Last, last words. What would you say as your last words to those that you love? I've thought about this. I've planned out my last words. I've thought to myself, what do I want the people that I love, my family, my own family, and this church, what do I want my last words to be? And it is very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Is there anything more important than that? I don't think so. I think if, if, if my loved ones, my kids, my family, our church could just do that, everything else would be okay. What would you say if you were hours away? Last words are lasting words. Now, before we get into Joshua's last 
words, his last sermon to the church in Israel, I want us to look at something about this context. I want us to look at the context of who he's speaking to, why he's speaking this. And also I want us to get a glimpse into Joshua's heart. I think what we're gonna see here is there's a lesson in here about the authenticity of his faith. And I think if we look at that personally, we're gonna see here if there's evidence of the authenticity of our faith by looking at some of the things Joshua does. So here's what he does. At the end of his life, Joshua's overriding concern in this whole chapter was that Israel's future generations would forget and forsake God, that they would fall into apostasy, deconstructionism, that they would become like the pagan nations around them. This was his greatest concern. His greatest concern was that they would fail to be faithful to the God who had been faithful to them. We can't blow past this. Again, I was really looking in this as a, you know, as a pastor, Joshua's a great pastor, so I'm looking at this, I'm like, wow, we can't blow past this. This is, he's 110. He's well past retirement age, right? And what is he doing with his last breath, his end of life speech? Well, he's not looking back in a self-indulgence nostalgia about all that he's done. He isn't looking back and and saying what was. He's not reversing it and saying, man, it was the glory days. His, His theme song is not I believe in yesterday or glory days. That's not what Joshua's doing. Joshua is different. He isn't coasting to eternity in the last years of his life, is he? Hey, man, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. I don't care about nobody else. No, what is Joshua doing at the end of his life? He is concerned about Israel's future. The generations, the unborn and the born generations of Israel about them knowing God. Wow. Wow. These are people he'll never meet. He'll never know them, never see them on the earth, and yet he cares about future generations knowing God. This is not a lesson just of leadership. This is a lesson that shows us the difference between the godly and the ungodly. Ungodly, you may have seen or may know some people towards the end of their life And they long for what was. They're constantly looking back at the good old days. Their glory. Clinging to life. Always looking back, never looking forward. And they surely don't care about any future generations knowing God. But the godly are different. The godly don't live in the past. The godly knows that their best days are in front of them, not behind them. The godly live for God's fame, not their own fame. The godly care about the born and the unborn generations, people they'll never see, they'll never meet because they care about the future generations knowing God. I want to stop here and think. Everyone here, the godly at this church that care about the future generations knowing God. Those parents who are discipling their children in the ways of God. Thank you. For those who serve every single week faithfully in preschool rooms and kids ministry and VBS, all of these places. You care about the future generations knowing God. Those who fight against abortion 
Because you care about the unborn future generations knowing God. Those who faithfully tithe and give every single week so that future generations would know God. I'm talking about people that you may never see, you may never meet, and you may never know. But you care about the future generations. Those who are discipling adults in the church, leading groups You're discipling parents. And by discipling parents, you're teaching them how to disciple their children and their children's children. You care about the future generations knowing God. Thank you for what you do for caring. You know, pastors and churches that don't care about the future won't have a future. The old rusted out churches, you know what I'm talking about? They just kind of sit there, stale. They just rust out. I love the fact that we have crying babies in this church. I love the fact that we have kids running in the hallways. You know who doesn't have crying problems and children running in the hallways? Dying churches don't. So I love it. Parents, that's not a permission to not parent your kids. You know that, of course. That's a little caveat there. But, but what a great problem to have in the church. It shows that we are a part of LifePoint Church. We care about the future generations knowing God. Do you care about the future generations knowing God? If you say yes, how are you showing that you care about those future generations? If you're in question about those things, let me give you a couple ideas. Tithing, giving. Or you start right there. That is putting your money where your mouth is and saying, I do care. I do care about the future generations knowing God. Are you going to share the gospel with people? One single person sharing the gospel can change generations and generations. I am proof positive of that. Are you serving in the church, the young ones and the old ones? Are you serving? Are you showing that you care about the future generations of God? Man, if you need to... Listen to that. If you have ears to hear, let you hear. Let them hear. Be obedient to caring about the future generations of God. So it is in that context and that glimpse into Joshua's heart that he gets up to preach his final sermon to the church in Israel. Now, I want to give you a heads up. His farewell sermon has a threefold approach. And it is not... Live, laugh, love, Oprahology kind of stuff. That's not what he's talking about today. He's got some very direct words, some very hard preaching for hard living in the future of Israel. He's going to tell them three things to look back, to love God, and to loathe idols. Those are our three things. So let's look at these three. The first one is looking back. Like his mentor Moses did in the book of Deuteronomy at the end of his life, he recalls the things of God, what God has done and brings to remembrance all of these things. And he does this in three verses here. Let's look at each one, 23 verse 3. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Down in verse 9, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you this day. Verse 14, and now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you All have come to pass, not one of them has failed. Notice here that General Joshua is not self-remembering, he's God-remembering. You might have heard of the infamous military general, General MacArthur, and when he stood before Congress in his last speech to address them, you know what MacArthur's, General MacArthur, you know what his biggest fear was? That he would be forgotten. General Joshua's greatest fear is that God would be forgotten. That Israel would suffer from God amnesia. So he's pleading with them. 
Look back. Remember. Recall all of the things that God has done for you. And, it, and, and of course, the story is just full of miracle after miracle. We had God providing for them in the wilderness, the manna from heaven. You know that he parted this, the mile-wide raging river of Jordan, knocking down the walls of Jericho, hailstone bombs from heaven at Beth Horon on all of the Amorites' heads. Miracle after miracle, sun standing still, miracle after miracle after miracle. The only way that Israel could, could even proclaim any kind of military prowess or miracle was because of the power and the presence of God. God did all of these things. And he's just reminding them. He says, God has fought for you. All of his promises Not one of his promises have failed. And he's recalling them to not forget to remember. Now, I think this exercise that Joshua's calling them to is not just for Israel. It is a good practice for the people of God to look back at what all God has done in our lives. I think it's a good, healthy practice meditation to sit around some days and think back of all the times of all the things that God has done for you. I think about this this passage about God fighting for me. I, I, I can look back at my life and I can remember all the times God was fighting for me when I was fighting him. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're not looking for God, you're looking for your life and you're looking for sin. And, all, and, and then there's moments where he's still fighting for you. Like fighting for you when you got in the car and should not have gotten home alive. Fighting to spare you from a relationship or a situation that was going to cause you great danger. And at the time you're thinking, oh, it's just coincidence, happenstance, or karma. No, it was God fighting for you even when you were fighting God. All of the glorious, wonderful things that he has done in our lives. It is good for us to remember. And then, of course, the greatest thing that we need to look back on and remember is the greatest miracle that God has ever done in this world by saving me. Saving you. That God knocked down the walls of sin that divided us with him. That God parted the raging river of our rebellion so that we could make a way back to God. This is the greatest miracle ever in him sending Jesus Christ to live, to die, to be resurrected from the grave so that we would have eternal life life. Jesus has fought for you. It was a fight, right? Cost him his life. Blood, cross, crown of thorns, lashes. Oh, he fought for you and he fought for me. Why is it that Joshua is urging them and us to remember? What's the, what's the application here? I think it's twofold. I think, number one, why it's important to look back is because sin is almost always the fruit of forgetting. You know, do you understand what I mean? Like, when I forget God, when I forget my own depravity and I forget his promises, his love, his scripture, what do I do when I forget? I sin. That's what you do when you forget God. So recalling the works of God, recalling the cross, helps us to fight the sin of today. I think the second thing the application is, is when we recall and look back at the things of God, it's supposed to be a motivation and incentive for us to move forward in godly living in the present and in the future. So it's a motivating thing, because that's actually what's going on here with Israel. They still have more more battles to fight, more enemies, more land. There's still more things to do. So now he comes in with two more things for them to do. The, The second thing is this. He tells them to love 
God. Love God. Joshua 23, 11. Be careful. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Joshua's not telling them to be happy, healthy, or to be true to themselves. He says, be very careful, diligent to love the Lord your God. Twelve times in the book of Joshua, Joshua says, your God. Why why does he need to say love God? Twelve times he says, your God. God. He is trying to communicate the idea of intimacy with God. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is not this impersonal relationship. It is a very personal relationship. He's not just God. He's our God. And we can proclaim, I am yours and you are mine, Jesus. We can do that. He is our God. So he says to love the Lord your God. Now in the Gospels, the Pharisees had engaged in an ongoing debate, which was the greatest commandment, of course. And they tried to play stump the Jesus and they tried to get him to trip up and they asked him that question. And here's what he said about the greatest commandment, 22, 37, 38. He says, and, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The greatest thing that Jesus says that we can do wasn't make good grades or make a name or make make partner in the firm or make lots of money. No, he says that we need to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and your mind. Loving God, first I think why that's a difficult concept for us is because we have misused and abused the word love. So let's talk about that. First of all, in our language, in our culture, we use the word love to talk about feelings, towards either something like chocolate or something or someone, don't we? We use that word very loosely. Um, An example would be maybe you see that when someone's dating someone for just maybe two weeks and they're already using those words, I love you. No, you don't. That's middle school love. Middle schoolers, I love y'all. Don't take it wrong. You'll catch this later, but... Um, you don't know what love is because you've never had to sacrifice for that person. It's never cost you anything. You've never had to spend a week with them without trying to kill them. <laughs> That's a different kind of love, right? Ladies, you don't really love him until you've done his laundry. <laughs> uh, guys, you don't really love her until you've gone to see down Tenna Abbey with her. <laughs> uh, if, if you're a fan, sorry, but that was a labor thing. I did it with my wife and it was very painful, but I did it because I love her. Um, listen, love requires great sacrifice. It costs you things. Yes, biblical love. Yes, there are emotions. There is attraction in those things. There can be charm. There can be beauty, but all of those things I just mentioned leak. They all leak. They all fade. They have holes in them. They won't last forever. So biblical love has got to be more than feelings. Biblical love is a love of the will. It's commitment. It costs even when the feelings aren't there. It's loving God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. So what does that look like? Let's kind of see if I can land this thing and or really steal some stuff from Joshua about what that actually looks like. I think he puts some skin on the bones of love and tells us about what it looks like. And I think he does it with this idea of the word clinging. Clinging. Let's look at it, verse eight. But you shall cling 
to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Cling. Cling is the same word in Genesis 2 when God told Adam to cleave or cling to his wife. That's how you cling to your spouse. You say nothing's getting between us. No sin, no divorce. I'm clinging to you. and ain't nothing letting you go. This idea of cling is that nothing can loosen your grip and you ain't letting go. I think about a story. Um, I was thinking about one this week. I used to drive a old beat up blazer. I mean, it was jacked up, all kind of issues going on. We were pretty poor and didn't have a lot. And um, this car is such a junker. I think I, it, it backfired often. So I think I was driving down the road. Everybody thought I was a drive-by shooter or something. I don't know, but um, it was a bad car. Sometimes the stuff just didn't work inside the vehicle. All right, that's where I was getting at. And so um, I was at uh, Chuck E. Cheese with uh, my family and, and Rylan, my son, was in the car with me that day. I think he was around three, maybe. And listen, this is before the safety laws and all the car seat stuff that's going on now. So I just kind of, bro was riding shotgun with me. All right, he's up there in the front. And, and listen, we just pull out. I'm out, leaving the parking lot. And, uh, and then I take a turn to the left. I'm in the driver's side, turn, turn left. And before I know it, I look over and the passenger door is wide open and Ryland is slowly falling out of the car. I reached over with the grip of life and grabbed the back of that car seat. I wasn't letting him go. I loved him. I would die for him. Nothing was going to loosen my grip. I wasn't letting go of him. This is the idea of clinging to God. That you grip so tightly to God that nothing comes between you and him. Clinging to God in your quiet time. Nothing's getting in the way of my quiet time with God. Clinging to God in our prayer life. Clinging to God and and setting aside. Nothing's getting in the way of corporate worship. This is clinging to God. Clinging to God is how we love God. Can you, can you cling to someone and love someone if you don't know them? No, you can't. You can't do that. You can't love someone that you don't know. You can be infatuated with someone that you don't know. You can lust after someone you don't know, but you can't love someone that you don't know. So you can't love God if you don't know God. I think Jen Wilkins said, the mind can't love what the heart doesn't know, or one of those ways. I said, the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. You have to know God to get into his word. You have to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I think there's another, another thing that Joshua gives here about loving God is by clinging to his commands. Look at Verse six, therefore be strong to keep all and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor the left. How many times in the book of Joshua has we heard this on repeat about obeying commands, keeping the law over and over and over and over again? It is because love and obedience are inseparable twins. Jesus, 1,400 years later, would obviously go on to expound upon this, and he says this in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Paraphrase, talk is cheap. Your lip service means nothing if your life doesn't match. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. It's easy to say we love Jesus. Of course, we're from the South. We're the belt buckle 
We, we, yeah, yeah we, we, we know to say love Jesus, right? It's easy to sing we love Jesus. It's easy to pray we love Jesus. It's even easy to have an I heart Jesus profile on your social media. That's easy. What's not so easy is to obey the one that you love. Every part of our being to be loving of God. So if you love God, you will spend time with him. You will cling to him. You will cling to his word. You will cling to his commands. You will obey them. This is how we show that we truly love God. Last piece is this. Loathe idols. We have been told to look back, to love God, and now loathe idols. Look at verse 7. That you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. With Joshua's last words, his last point in his sermon to loathe idols. The biggest threat to Israel, of course, was not an outside enemy coming in. The biggest threat to Israel is that they would become like the enemies. That was his greatest fear. Oh, the Canaanites. If you get around those Canaanites, here's what's going to happen. They talk different than you do. They believe different than you. They have a different world view than you do. They, have, they practice gross sexual perversion. I'm talking temple prostitutes. They, they worship false idols. Sounds like church, many of the people of church today, right? Clothing themselves in a little bit of religion, but still practicing all of these things. And he says, if you get around them and you mix with them and you marry with them, you will be infected with pagan worldliness. And this was a great fear. Now, I do want to point out here that he said, if you mix and intermarry with these tribes, number one, his concerns were warranted. And literally three chapters later in Judges 2, that's exactly what they did. They became like the pagan nations and already began to worship Baal. So Joshua's right. He knew what they were going to do. But when he says here that he did not want them to mix with these nations, here's what I want you to know. He's not talking about mixed marriages based upon races. He's talking about mixed marriages based on religion. Very important. Someone might have told you a long time ago through tradition or culture that interracial marriages are bad, wrong. They are beautiful pictures of the gospel. Beautiful pictures of the gospel. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's a beautiful thing. But don't marry, don't date, don't fall in love with the Canaanites because they don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't believe like you. And if you do, you will be infected. You will forget God and you will drift away. That is the warning that Joshua has for them to loathe these idols. I think most of the time when we talk about idols, I mean, even if you understand the, the definition, our minds go immediately to wooden statues, totem poles, golden fat guys, and gift shops. That's kind of what I think when I think about that, right? And clearly, yes, those are idols. Those religious trinkets people carry around, idols. So let's make sure we're clear on that. But I, I don't think it's blatantly that. It is that, but I think in our American culture, our idols are a lot more sophisticated. How do you identify what an idol is in your life? Very easy. An idol is anything that you love more than God. An idol is anything you love more than God. Career, 
money, fame, fortune, people's approval, house, cars. I could go on and on. Even, church, even our most precious physical earthly relationships with our spouses and our kids, even they can become idols if we love them more than God. When a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. Another way to identify an idol in your life is it keeps you away from obeying God. So if God says, obedience, love me, give Give tithe and generosity. And you say, I can't afford to do it because of this, 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 this. You don't have a financial problem. It's not that you're just not good with the books or you're having problems catching up from all of your debt. That's not the reason you don't tithe. The reason you don't tithe is because you have an idol in your life and you've given more love to that than to God. If you need help navigating through that, I'd be glad to talk with you in a gentle tone, of course, but that's the reality is. If God says, hey, worship, come together, corporately together, but you say, I can't. My kids got tournaments every weekend this season. He's got to get that trophy, got to get that scholarship. I got to keep working. I got to pay the bills. I got to put food on the table. You don't have a scheduling problem. There's not a conflict with your kid's baseball schedule and church. You have an idolatry problem. You love that thing more than God. Anything that keeps you from obeying God is an idol in our lives. You know what the most dangerous idol is, I think, when I, when I, when I read this? I think the most dangerous idol in our life is a fake God of our own imaginations. Not the God of Bible, but the God that we make up in our minds. I think God's like this. I think he's like, I don't think God would want me. I think God wants me to be happy. I think like that is a God of your imagination and that is a dangerous, dangerous false God. Man, we have the God of the Bible and he's the only one worthy of worship. So let me, let me wrap this thing up. Let me bring it to a close, which is basically the old preacher way of saying, hang in there for a few more minutes, right? Um, these three things that he's told us to do, to look back, to love God, and to loathe idols. This chapter, there's two things I want us to see at the very end. There are two promises of God in this chapter. It's bookend. One is a promise of blessing, one is a promise of cursing. One is a promise for those who do look back and recall God, who do not forget God, who love God, and who loathe idols. There is a promise of blessing. Land, promised land, eternity. That, that's the promise here. God will be faithful if you are faithful to those things. But there is another promise here. As much as we love the fact that God is such a promise keeper of his blessing, we also have to acknowledge at the end here that God is also someone who fulfills his promises of cursing. Look at what he says to the people who don't do those things. Verse 15. But just as all the good things that have the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you off from this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then, he, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off of the good land that he has given to you. Joshua is saying, as surely as God has been faithful to bless their obedience, he will be faithful to curse their disobedience. 
What is Joshua saying here? This, this, this stopped me in my tracks this week as I was reading. I thought, so I read that and I was like, okay, I thought we were saved by grace. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, not a result of works so that no man may boast. Once saved, always saved. Like, what is he saying here? That if we forget God, that we don't love him, that we don't loathe the idols and we do become like the world, is he saying he's going to cut us off from a land and that the anger of the Lord is going to be kindled against us, that we could lose our salvation? Is that what he's saying? I think it's a good question. Let me, let me address that. First, if the pattern of your life is that you never recall the things of God and what he's done in your life and you don't acknowledge all those things were God, if you don't love him, and I mean love from here, not practice cold, perfunctory, religious obedience. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about love. If you don't love God and you don't loathe and fight the idols of your life, if that's the, if that's the pattern and the habit of your life, then yes, this is talking to you. The anger of the Lord is kindled against you. You will be cut off. You will be cursed if that is the pattern of your life. But for those who follow Jesus, let's talk, change the course here. Those who follow Jesus as a pattern of their life, again, not perfectly, but the pattern of their life, it's filled with looking back at what God has done, looking back at the cross over and over again, trying to love God, fighting to love God more today than I loved him yesterday, fighting off the idols, trying to not be like the world. If that's what I do, here's the deal. We will never be cursed and cut off from the land. The anger of the Lord will never be kindled against us. Why? Because Jesus was cursed on our behalf. Look at Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Church, we are no longer under the curse for those in Christ Jesus. We're no longer under the threat of curse. He has endured the curse of sin for all of those who would trust, love, and believe in Jesus Christ. So a question I'll leave as the band comes out. We've all done these things, right? Let's, let's make sure we have a leveler here. All of us in the room, every one of us has been guilty of God forgetting, cold, lukewarm, if in our love for God. We've all bowed down to other idols in our life. We're all on the hook here. The question is, is have you ever agreed with God concerning those things? You have to start there. Have you agreed with God and then have you run to the saving Hands of Jesus Christ who bore the curse on your behalf. He is the great curse bearer and he is the great curse lifter. Do you know Jesus Christ? If you do not and you have heard today the beautiful, beautiful gospel and you want Christ, man, would you stick around after today? Maybe fill out a blue card. Uh, you can stop and talk to us on the way out today. We would love to talk with you. If you're here today, let me say the last thing. If you're here today and you're someone, I love Jesus. I know the truths of Jesus. But you would be so bold today to say, I have forgotten. I have forgotten all the things that you've done. I've not loved you. I've kind of been going through the motions of begrudging church attendance, going through life. I've, I've begun to drift and love other things in this world more than God. I've become to start to look, talk, and behave like people in the world instead of the people of God. If that's you, come home to Jesus today. Repent. Run back into the open arms of Jesus. No questions asked. No excuses needed. Come back today. Let me pray for us. 
Father, we thank you for your servant Joshua as he is nearing the end of his life. God, he's such a great pastor. He's such a great leader, one that we, we should all emulate in the care for the future generations. We hear his love for us today. He's, he's preaching to us. He's reminding us to look back, to continually practice God remembering. God, would you grant us the love that we may be lacking towards you. God, would you help us to loathe and detest more the idols in our life that are unworthy opponents. We ask all of these things by the body and the blood of Christ. In his name we pray. Church, as we sing this last song, um, feel free to respond how you feel the Spirit leading you to respond. Maybe it is to stand and to sing with joy. Maybe you need to take a minute and sit in your seat and pray. Turn around in your seat. Use that as an altar. Maybe you need to go receive prayer or counseling. Feel free. Respond how you feel the Spirit leading.